0: How can you hide yourself from dying? Can you go to a Pritikin longevity center? Can you take your vitamin, your multi every morning? How can you protect your finances from dying? You can buy life insurance. You say, but the Bible doesn't say anything about life insurance. We got you on this one. It doesn't say anything about life insurance. You know what it says? It says, the prudent man foreseeeth the evil and hideth himself. And if you don't think death is considered an evil in Scripture, you haven't read Scripture. I mean, it's the number one evil that meet men here on earth. And a prudent man thinks about that. What what would my death right now cause other than total collapse of my family and my children becoming beggars with tin cups down on Main Street someplace? What do you do about it? You buy insurance. Manage your risk. Let me make another point, though, before I go further on the insurance aspect. Do not assume unnecessary risk is what I'm talking about minimize your risk manage your risk keep it to a minimum level risk is dangerous you say but risk has opportunity also you get paid for risk no risk no reward no risk no loss either I mean you get what you pay for be careful of risk look at Proverbs chapter 6 Proverbs chapter 6 we're going to talk about the big hearted folks for a minute The big-hearted folks, when you come and ask them for a loan, why, they'll shake hands with anyone in a minute because they're so big-hearted. Well, here's what Solomon had to think about the big hearts. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, you know, you went into the bank and you met this new bank officer and you said, sure, I'll guarantee this loan. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go! Humble thyself and make sure thy friend. It would be humbling. You'd have to go back and you'd have to get rid of your big heart. You'd have to say, I really don't have the money to pay. It's too much risk. You're going to have to get someone else to co-sign with you or you're going to have to wait to make this purchase. That's humbling, isn't it? Because you know, it's pretty nice to be Mr. Bucko's. And just pull out and sign and shake hands like you're, you know, Mr. Cash, that you can help anyone at any time, Mr. Big Heart. You've met him, and you know what? We all want to be that way to a certain degree. You know what Solomon said? Be very careful. That's risk. What's the risk? You haven't put a buck out, have you? Not a buck. But there's a risk you could put a lot of bucks out. And see, Solomon is trying to save you from risk. I mean, all you need is to get that phone call that he's coming after your kid. Remember that we covered this morning? When a borrower doesn't pay, he's not going to come after your friend's kid because you were the buddy that shook hands with the bank officer. He's coming after yours. God doesn't want you to have risk like that unnecessarily. Verse 4, here's how much concern he wants you to give to not doing this. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. That's like a deer. And some of you deer hunters know how well they get away. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. When you've done that, and if you know that right now you you have co-signed a loan and you're at risk for someone else, undo it if you have the means to do so. If it's not true, it may take some humbling, but do it. God does not want you to have risk. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? He's trying to reduce risk in your financial affairs. See, there's two problems with being surety for someone else. Maybe they can't pay, so that you'll have to pay. Maybe they can't pay, and maybe you can't pay. Look at Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. See, there's two risks. First of all, that they can't pay, and you've got to fork over the money. The real problem is they can't pay and when they come to have you fork over the money they find out that money bags after all did not have enough to pay. This is just what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 22. Look at verse 26. Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debt. See there's a type of people that go around trying to give the impression of affluence. I mean they'll step in at any turn to help you financially. They're usually the ones in poorest shape. They just want to give the appearance of wealth. Be not thou one of them that slay hands or of them that are sureties for debt. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? Now see, I talk about children. Solomon said bed. He's speaking sarcastically also. I mean, why do you want to be surety for someone when if they actually come for you, you're not going to have the money to pay and they're going to come and take away your bed and you're going to be on the floor is what Solomon is saying. Keep your wrists down. The Lord wants you to manage your risks. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. That is why lotteries, bingo, and gambling is not for a Christian to engage in. Now, there's a line to be drawn, but I'm not going to worry about the line. I'm going to tell you that you need to minimize the risk by avoiding those areas. Because the Lord wants you to minimize that risk. And a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now when you go play bingo, or when you engage in a lottery, or when you go to Vegas, you don't have to foresee the evil. The evil's already there to see. The take is on the part of the house. You are throwing away money to do that and there's something very interesting to remember about lotteries and bingo guess who plays those games the rich or the poor do you think Vegas is made on the rich or the poor successful businessmen don't go to Vegas addicts gambling addicts and the poor go to Vegas why? because their eyes are in the end of the earth trying to find an easy way to get rich. They don't want to work for it. Stuart Crane has often said that Michigan's lottery is the only way to tax the poor. You know, they don't earn any money, so they don't pay any in income taxes. But I'll tell you, if you put a lottery in the places of Michigan that have all the poor, um, they'll line up. I mean, they'll be curling around the streets, around the blocks, to get to that machine to get their lottery ticket. And what is it? It's nothing but a tax they're not going to win anything. You say, but they could. Oh, no, they couldn't. I'm going by the rule. An exception does not nullify a rule. It establishes the rule. No one can win at a lottery. You say, but someone wins. No one wins at a lottery. That one person doesn't even count. You say, but someone wins. You're a fool. If you think about that one person, you are a fool. You look at the rule, not at the exception. Who falls for such stupid, insane ideas? The poor. The poor. How many lottery tickets do you think I saw floating around executive offices of Michigan National? None. How many jokes did we have floating around Executive Office of the Michigan National about the people using the lottery? Many. Millions of dollars. Just raked in. Millions of dollars. As the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. The way it ought to be. Anybody who buys a lottery ticket or goes and plays bingo, and look at all the people that play bingo. I mean, what kind of people go play bingo, though? Ever seen Bank? Presidents sitting around playing bingo on a Saturday night? Seldom. It's somebody who's worked hard for their money, but because of lack of judgment, they don't know how to keep it. Look at Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't raise much out of the city of Detroit based on an income tax. because There's no income. That's why they passed the lottery. It's amazing how much money can be raised. The vain ideas of getting rich. Hasty to be rich. I'm going to pay fifty cents and someone's going to give me ten million dollars. Is that a free lunch? The biggest one of all. Does it ever work? No. There is no such thing as a free lunch. For every lunch that's ever enjoyed on that system. There are thousands and thousands of homes where the children do not have food to eat because the parents are so insane to buy tickets. Proverbs 13.23, Much food is in the tillage of the poor. Now listen, the poor work hard, and any poor man that works hard is going to have enough to eat. That's what Solomon is saying. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. Now, he didn't say much pleasure. He didn't say a lot of extra wine and oil. He just said much food. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. But there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. Who has it destroyed for want of judgment? The poor do. They don't know how to keep it. And why? Because they take unnecessary risks. You have no right to be gambling, playing poker, playing bingo, going to Vegas, buying lottery tickets. God has given you every dollar that you have and you are accountable for good stewardship with that. And look at who it takes advantage of. The poor. And it's their fault. They love it. They want an easy way out. They don't want to work their way out. Proverbs 22.3, let's get back there now. That verse said, The prudent man foreseeeth the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on are punished. You need to protect yourself and your family. You need to protect your family in case of your death. So life insurance is necessary. You say, well, I don't need life insurance because the church is there to take care of my wife if I die. Not after this sermon. <laughs> you say, well, that doesn't sound very charitable. You don't sound very intelligent. If you're going to presume on the church, remember the church can't support your wife unless she is, how old? Sixty, and that's a ways for most of you. Isn't it? Don't think about that. You need life insurance to protect your family in case of your death. How much? That depends. You need to consider your wife's ability to earn a living. You need to consider the number of kids you have. You need to consider how close you have family members because it's the family that's to take care of you first, your wife before the church does. You need to consider a number of things and you can find an amount and I'll help you find an amount if you ever want to talk to me about it. But you need to protect your family in case of your death because you have found family obligations whether you live or die. Medical insurance protects your family from the burden of catastrophic medical bills. You say, but I can't afford to pay for medical insurance. I say you can't afford not to pay for some type of catastrophic medical insurance. Now, I'll tell you what kind of medical insurance I have. I don't have the kind I had at Michigan National, I mean at Michigan National, I don't know what All I knew is I was given a little card once a year and I could walk in for anything and they'd never charge me. That's all I know. You know what it would cost to maintain a policy like that? Several hundred dollars a month for a family my size. Several hundred dollars a month for a family my size. I have a policy right now that costs me forty-five dollars a month. That's nothing. That is nothing. It's got a thousand dollar deductible. That means, if I go have a heart attack, I pay the first thousand dollars, but the next million dollars is paid for by the insurance company. See, by having a high-deductible policy like that, I don't subsidize people who go to the doctors for head colds, because I never go to a doctor for a head cold. I mean, we don't go to doctors for anything unless it's life-threatening. Why? Because how are they going to help? That's my attitude on the AMA and our medical profession. But you need something to protect you from catastrophe. Most of you work for companies where that's all taken care of, but some of you don't. You say, but I can't afford medical insurance. I'm giving you warnings that a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, and I'll show you how to get a low-cost, high-deductible, catastrophic insurance policy. Remember, you want insurance only to protect your family from catastrophe. You do not buy insurance to pay for doctor's visits. If you buy insurance to pay for doctor's visits, you will be a poor man in short order because the premiums are prohibitively expensive. You buy insurance only to protect against catastrophe. In the last two generations, the insurance has become this service where you you buy insurance not to protect catastrophe but to avoid paying a doctor's bill. You fully insure your car so that if you have a little fender bender with someone you know they'll pay for the whole thing why in the world buy collision on anything but in a new car pay for it yourself in the long run you will make money you say how how will I make money because by buying full collision you're paying for all those people who go to the insurance company for their little fender benders and you're paying all the fat cat insurance men who sit in big fancy offices and call themselves insurance executives. Why do you want to do that? Take care of yourself. Don't take care of the insurance agent. You know who he wants you to take care of. Take care of yourself. Insurance is only for catastrophe. Insurance is only for catastrophe. I love the policy I have. It's just exactly what I want. Can I afford a thousand? I can afford a thousand. Can I afford a million? No. So I'll let the insurance company pay the million, but I'll pay the thousand. But I'm not going to pay $3,000 a year to have them pay for me going to the doctor to have him tell me I need aspirin for my headache. And you know everyone does that in America. I mean, how, how many visits a year does the average person make to the doctor? Do You want to be paying for that person, or do you want to be protecting your family against catastrophe? Consider your auto and home and remember that it's simply for catastrophe. You don't want to lose your home. A home is part of your inheritance. Proverbs 19.14 says that a home is the inheritance of fathers. That is something a father is to have and to have it protected. Now if you die and you don't have it, or not if you die, if something happens to the house and you don't have it protected, you've just lost your inheritance. Make sure that you are insured against catastrophe. Make a will to save your legal problems. If you were to die, or your wife was to die, or both of you were to die, or all of you and your children were to die. Have a will to save legal problems, estate taxes, and to properly distribute your assets. Do you want all your assets to pay Uncle Sam first? Or do you want them to go to whatever end, result, and end user that you, you want them to have? Do you want the inheritance of the estates you have to go to your children, to go to your wife, to go to your children's children? Then you need to have that specified and taken care of before you die. A prudent man will foresee the risk. He'll look down the road and he'll say, what if I did die? No more income for my family. The inheritance isn't built yet, so there wouldn't be one there. So I need to get one. You know, life insurance is an instant way overnight to have an estate. If you buy the right insurance, instantly you can have an estate and an inheritance to give your children. Now, by the time you're 40 or 50, it's too expensive to get your inheritance that way. The premiums are too high. But by that time, you ought to have your own. You ought to have earned your own. But have a will designated so that those assets and that inheritance go to the right party. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Here's another application of that principle in managing risk. Do you have a backup career? or a backup job opportunity? Or are you so simple-minded that you have put your blinders on and you 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 have a job, you love your boss, you're going to work there the rest of your life, you'll retire from there at 65 years of age, and you don't think about anyone else? Don't burn bridges. Make friends. Have jobs available elsewhere so that if evil was to overtake you, and remember, God brings evil according to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and he brings prosperity so that the hearts of men might be exercised. He will bring evil. Have you foreseen the evil that will come and protected yourself by having some type of a backup career or a backup job? Some of you are in careers that may not have a lot of opportunities in this area. So you might want to have a backup career, something else you could get into, or a backup job by just keeping contacts open. Meeting people at a different auto repair, auto dealership, if you're Greg Duran, Knowing a few other places where they like you, know you, that if you lost your job at one place, you could get a job somewhere else. All I'm talking about here with managing risk is looking ahead and seeing what is the worst thing that can happen and having some sort of backup plan in case it does happen. Because will it happen? It will happen sooner or Later. God has said he will bring it to pass to see whether you're prepared or not and to make you know that there's nothing after God. But see, if you've already used his word, you're going to realize that. The moment something bad happens to you and you say, well, the pastor taught on that three years ago. I took measures beginning the next month. And I'm prepared. Look it, I'm in my new job already. Well, what have you found? That there's nothing after the Lord because he'd already warned you about it from his word. The Lord's circumstances will not take you fully by surprise if you're following his word. Now, if you're not, you're going to get caught blindside. Manage risk. Risk involves basically two things. One, don't involve yourself by being a surety for loans, by gambling, by buying lottery tickets, by playing bingo. That's just throwing away your money. That's unnecessary risk for no purpose and you're not being a good steward with what God's given you. That's the first aspect of managing risk. The second aspect is looking ahead and seeing what would happen if you were disabled, if you died, if your house burned down, or if you totaled your car. Now, most of you, if you totaled your car, you should be able to go out and buy another car. I didn't say a new one. Just go out and buy another one. If you can do that, you don't want collision or comprehensive on your car. Now, I'm not saying you can't have it. I'm just trying to remind you that the purpose for insurance is to protect you against catastrophe. Now, when you price these things out, you might find that it's re- reasonable to have those things on your vehicle. So remember, insurance is for catastrophe only. If you think it's anything more than that, all you're doing is keeping some insurance company in the top ten profitable insurance companies in America. And that's not, paying, that's not taking care of yourself first. And I hope that all of you are looking out For number one, you, after the Lord and his work is taken care of, and your savings and your children are taken care of, you're looking out for yourself. Work honestly. Let's provide things honest in the sight of all men. God will bless us for it. Manage risk. Avoid risk at all costs. Even if it's for a friend, don't shake hands easily. Redeem yourself from the hand of that friend. Look ahead and look at any kind of evil. If it's economic evil that could overtake this country in five years, you better have some money somewhere other than in Federal Reserve notes. That's an evil, and it will come. The Pied Piper of American economic policies will be back, and he'll be playing a pretty tune that says he's going to bring us all to financial ruin, unless you're prepared. We need to look ahead. I mean, God gave us these rules and principles to help us make it through tough times and to be successful. I hope that he will bless the preaching of his word to your heart. I commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. Now that is an arrogant preacher. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. But the psalmist began by saying, It is time for the Lord to work, for they have made void thy law. Do you remember that I took two sermons before I even got to the rules for Bible economics trying to convince you that you would have to remember this point, that what I was going to tell you wouldn't agree with the success books written by the world. Look what we covered this morning, debt. Our government has decided to subsidize anyone who borrows and pays interest by taking, stealing from those who save money and earn interest. If you earn interest, you add it to your income and are taxed on it. If you pay interest, you subtract it from your income and are not taxed on it. It's a transfer of wealth from the savers to the borrowers. The opposite of God's law, they've tried to make void by law, and I say it is time, it is time for thee to work and knowing that God will work. Therefore, I love thy commandment. Therefore, I hate every false way. you feel that way? Do you get excited about the Word of God? Do you love knowing that while you sit here, some of you barely graduated from high school, some of you may not have made it through the last year of high school, and I couldn't care less. Now... You, you're in high school. I said, now, you will make it all the way through. Does, does it rejoice your heart to know that sitting here, you can have more economic understanding than the head professor of economics at Columbia University, or the Harvard Graduate School of Business, or the Stanford Graduate School of Business? or the Wharton School of Business. See, right on the same page, we read in verse 98, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Listen, I was in a master's degree program at Eastern Michigan University, and young people, I quit school. I quit school in the middle of the semester, lost the money I had paid in the course. I walked out of there. I won't tell you everything I was thinking about the school when I left because I could not take it any longer sitting there knowing more than that teacher had ever forgotten. Why? Because I'm some brilliant genius? Because God's Word gives more understanding than your teachers when they're not teaching the truth. I quit school. I couldn't take it. You only go as far in education as you need pieces of paper to play their game. And don't go to learn anything. I just went to get a piece of paper. I was going to get a second piece of paper, but I couldn't take it. I had turned into a waste beater, practically speaking. You know, I came home at night and kicked the dog. We didn't even we didn't have a dog, as you well know. <laughs> but it is so frustrating. But if you'll remember passages like this, and focus on God's Word and realize, Lord, it is time for Thee to work, for they have made void Thy law. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that I may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Do I have a reason to be cocky? I believe we have the truth, and I'm going to teach it like it's the truth, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And thank God I had an opportunity to practice most of this that I've preached to you, and it works. Let us pray. Lord, Thou art God above all, and I come to thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God in flesh. Father in heaven, I thank thee for thy word. And I call upon thee that it is time for thee to work, for they have made void thy law. Manifest in the affairs of this nation and among its citizens the just recompensive reward for making void thy law, and confirm thy word to each soul here. Grant grace, O Lord, that they might be saved from being deluded and deceived by the so-called wisdom of this world, that they have in their possession sufficient means to know more than all their teachers, than all the ancients, and their enemies. And Lord, how true this is in financial matters. Therefore we love thy law exceedingly, we love it more than gold, we love it more than fine gold, and we believe that whatever it says concerning all things, it is right and we hate every false way. Bless us Lord, now, as we open that word and convict each soul here to have the same degree of confidence and love for thy word that I do. Grant it, O oh Lord, by thy grace to the glory of Christ and the salvation of a whole church. Amen. Rule number nine. Rule number nine: Work honestly. Work honestly. Your work must be free from any dishonesty or appearance of dishonesty. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. You have learned this verse before, but I doubt that you would have been able to tell me what its context was. Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But did you know what the context was? Verse 10 and 11. I, the Lord, search the heart. Now, God knows how deceitful our hearts are because he searches them. I try the rain, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Now, see, you can hide things from your boss. All of you can do it. All of you have done it. You'll get away with it. But there's a master in heaven that you don't hide a thing from. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways." Friends, he doesn't have across-the-board increases. You get paid directly according to your contribution. Now look at verse 11, "...as the partridge sitteth on eggs, and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at his end shall be a fool." Now that doesn't sound like a very prosperous way to success you will leave those riches in the midst of your days and you'll end up being a fool. The heart is deceitful above all things, but I, the Lord, search the heart. Of course, you've never been dishonest on the job and this particular rule doesn't apply to you. You've all been dishonest on the job. Just remember, riches don't come that way. You want to be successful, I'm trying to give you what the Bible says about financial success, and this is one of the rules. And wait till you see how much Solomon had to say on it. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 20 now. What did the wise man have to say on working honestly? Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20 and verse 10. Divers weights and divers measures. Both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. Divers is an older English word meaning many. Many weights and many measures are an abomination to the Lord. You can imagine if you were buying or selling things by weight in the days that Solomon wrote this verse. You know, you were a a merchant that had two sets of weights in two drawers behind the counter. And when you were buying when you were buying, oh, you had some decent weights. I mean, they were hefty ones so that you could get more for the pound. But when you were selling, oh, you had another set of weights, a little light on the light side so that you could sell more and make more. You had measures. You had one bushel basket when you were buying and you had a different bushel basket when you were selling so that you could make more. Both of those means of gain are an abomination. You say, well, I've never done anything like that, so I guess I'm not guilty. Just hold on, and we'll see. Look at verse 23. Again, divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. You know, you've done some toying with your balance. How many of you have heard and read instruction manuals on how to toy with your Duke power meter? How many of you have learned how to toy with your cable TV connection? Look at chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. This particular verse, and you may have read it before and wondered exactly what it was talking about, is referring to the surveys that were done when the land of Israel was divided. They set landmarks, trees, large rocks, piles of rocks. So you go out some night and you move one of those so that you can put your chain-link fence up right where you want it, where it's lined up with some trees, three feet on your neighbor's property. Of course, Americans don't do things like that because we live in a civilized society the only thing civilized about America is that we use chain link fences but we change the landmarks that our fathers have set up I mean Solomon's getting it all isn't he false weights false measures false boundaries for property Proverbs chapter 20 let's go back to it Solomon repeatedly emphasizes the importance of economic honesty and this is a verse I've referred to before but I don't think we can emphasize this verse enough I believe that most of you wouldn't have false balances. It happens. I mean, how many gas stations in Greenville right now, when that gas station shows that it has given you a full gallon of gas, has not given you a full gallon of gas? Or, if it has given you a full gallon of liquid, it's not all gas. I mean, that happened in Detroit all the time. You know, cars would be conked out on the freeway because they had hit the water finally that had been pumped through some of the total stations, you know, tested in 56 countries of the world. Yeah, it may have been tested in 56 countries, but once it got here, they added water. Now, you can buy total. I mean, I'm not saying all total has water in it, but we had problems. People do things like that. They'll defraud you at every corner when they can. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. We need to be honest in our buying. I've been over this before, but in all the effort that I am trying to, I'm making, in trying to teach you to be diligent and to be wise, there is a tendency to get so wise and so diligent in your buying that you're trying to jew everyone out of an extra buck. And look what the Lord has to say about that. It is not. It is not, saith the buyer. But when he has gone his way. Then he boasted. Now you know what I'm. You know the example I'm going to give you of what we have, We tend to say once in a while that's a sin. It happened to me this week. On Friday, when I was loading the truck, the neighbors who just moved in, the lady came over and wanted to introduce herself, and she said, "Do you know of any Christian women in the neighborhood who would like to get together and have a Christian Bible study? Because I'm a Christian." We talked for about 30 seconds on that subject. God being my witness, no longer. Then we moved to the subject of the house and she said, I paid 64500 for it. It's a steal. This all took place inside of 60 seconds. What kind of a Christian is that? Now, if she got a good deal, what should she do about it? Keep her mouth shut. But you run around saying it is a steal. I love the way God can take men and they condemn themselves. What did she just say she was guilty of? Stealing. You say, well she didn't really steal because the seller agreed to the price. It wasn't the transaction God's dealing with. God's dealing with her attitude about the transaction after she leaves the seller. Do you follow that? I agree. when a, uh, she, went, she didn't force the seller. Although you can do that in certain ways, she didn't force the seller. It's that when she left the seller, when she went her way, then she boasted. Just this past week, have you ever said that? Terrible to admit it, isn't it, that you've come home and told your wife you got a steal on something? You say you're. How can you condemn such petty language? I didn't condemn it. Remember oh, how did I started this sermon? I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Listen, if God said it, it's right, and we ought like to hate it. It's nothing. It's nothing. Come on, it's got problems. It's got an oil forced air heating system. It's got a stairway in the wrong place. It hasn't been lived in for a year. It's 30 years old. It's nothing. It's nothing. Nothing. And then the buyer goes his way and boasts. I was referring to the house I just bought. I haven't boasted to you. My, if anybody got a steal, Mountain Creek Baptist Church did. I don't mean that. I'm thankful for the house the Lord's provided. But you know, those of you who talk to me most about the bid that I made, Mountain Creek Baptist Church, how long did it take me? Because I wasn't going to be guilty of doing that because I have been known for it in the past. My whole job was to do that at Michigan National, and I did a great deal of boasting. Someday I'll tell you the story about what it's like to try to take advantage of the dealers in the marketplace. There's dealers in a bond market, like the Merrill Lynch's, the Rothschilds, the First Bostons, the Solomon Brothers. And whenever you can buy from one of them and sell to another simultaneously and make money, you pull off something that they despise because...